0: Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Shema Podcast. Today, I want to get into education. Educating our youth, educating ourselves. You know, the overall theme of this podcast is the transformative effect of Torah on each of us. But it brings in a new question, and that is, what is the role in the balance of secular wisdom? I grew up in a world, in a secular world, where what mattered most was going to college. So you could be well-educated to enter the professional world and succeed in order to have a good livelihood. But I still get to this, this question. What is the role of secular education if Torah contains all the wisdom of the Almighty? Are there subjects that are counter to Torah that we should avoid? Are there subjects that are just a waste of time? I think about subjects I took in college, like psychology, sociology, very important subjects, but I found the Torah, God's wisdom, from the one who made us, that the wisdom in Torah, in the area of psychology and sociology, is a source I would want to go to for learning those subjects, versus the outside world, as they've scrambled to test And come up with ideas and theories, prove those theories wrong. And even if they have gotten to the conclusion that is accurate, that's in sync with Torah, why start with them when we can just get that wisdom directly from Torah? It's a good question. And it's one I wanted an answer to. So I asked one of our leading educators, one of the pillars of this community, Rabbi Nagel, to come on. He's going to clarify all this for all of us.
1: Welcome to the Shema Podcast. The podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwined through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show.
0: Rabbi Nagel, thank you so much for joining us. I'm looking forward to getting
1: into this subject with you. It is truly an honor. Again, I enjoyed so much and actually passed along the last podcast to my family members and they actually enjoyed it very much. So excellent. It's an honor.
0: Okay. So tell us about the the subject. You know, I framed it. The balance. Is there a balance? Is the balance different per individual? Is there subjects that are prohibitive to learn because for either A, there's a waste of time. Like we used to make a joke in college, like to boost up your GPA, you would take something like underwater basket weaving and just some of the nonsense you would see on the curriculum, right? It's a waste of time or it's philosophy that's very counter to Torah and could create problems for a Jew. How do we navigate that? And then the other thing I was asking about was if someone says, Yes, I wanna, I wanna pursue, I wanna be a doctor how do you navigate the college world these days? Because you see what's happening on campuses and it's so anti-Torah, that'd be horrified to send my daughter off to an environment like that. So let's
1: begin, tell us what we need to know. Okay, so let's try and give a little framework. Okay, there's a few sources and I guess the best place to start is at the sources. And from the sources, you sort of, that's where the different opinions, and like I mentioned in our pre-discussion here, That you're going to speak to five rabbis, you'll get ten opinions on this topic. Because um, every rabbi is a bit of a different nuance, and depending on where the rabbi sits in the gamut of orthodoxy, even within orthodoxy, there's very different sides on that. Many people will shy away from, you know, anything in that area at all, and there are many rabbis that would feel that, you know, to some degree it is appropriate, and then there's Rabbi Azusa, who just welcome it with open arms. And therefore, really, what we need to do is start from the source material, and from there, you see where the ideas develop, different avenues develop. Let's talk about what is prohibited. There's a fascinating account in the Talmud, and I'll give you a little bit of background. The Talmud discusses about how the walls ended up being breached, the walls of Jerusalem. And this is... Very interesting. There was it, was it was internal battle amongst the Chashmonai kings who should be the king, and you know the Jews when they fight against each other, it's a different level of dirty. Okay, it's unfortunate, but it was really bad. And there was one king on the outside, one on the inside, but they both were you know serving, and they made a a wall around. They didn't let anything get passed in to the city. Now, of course, they had carbonas that need to be brought. So what was the system? It was a bribery system. The people inside were, were had a lot of money, and they would send over a bucket full of money, and in exchange, they got the requisite animals that they needed for the carbo. And there was one elderly gentleman there who was well-versed in the wisdom of the Greeks, Chachmas Yavanis. And he basically said, as long as you're passing through those animals that they're still able to bring their carbonos, you'll never win the battle. The only way to win is by not accepting the bribery and just don't send in animals. And what happened was, is that they took the money and in exchange, they took these, they put a pig in the basket to be hauled back in, and the pig stuck its hoofs into the wall and it made such a loud sound that was just resounding. And it was at that time that the rabbis decreed that anybody who teaches, you know, how terrible it is to teach our children Chach Masyavannes. So that's one source. What is Chach Masyavannes? What is the wisdom of the Greeks? What is the depth of that story? Is a good question. But this is one of the source material of like, beware of, of this form of knowledge. But it's more than just a form of knowledge, it's, it was a tactic. It was, you know, okay, you need to break the people on the inside. It was a brilliant tactic when you think about it. Part of what's keeping them going and withstanding the siege is because they're still able to function inside by bringing the carbonos that they need on a daily basis. And by breaking that, that's how you'll win. It was a tactic. It was war tactics. So, But the blame fell on this idea of Chach Masivanus. On the other hand... We do find that it's a little less than clear. We find that Rabban Gamliel, who was the nasi, he needed to be well versed because he dealt on a regular basis. He was the high, he was the basically the temporal leader of the Jewish people. He dealt with various dignitaries. He needed to be well versed in these areas. So, like for the need, that was like an overriding consideration that sort of allowed him to make an exception to study these areas of. Wisdom, this area of wisdom, so that's an area, whatever it means, maybe it means philosophy, maybe it means you know war tactics, maybe it means something uh, to me there's something nefarious in the whole idea of like being self centered to you know to to attack or not not caring about the greater good of the Jewish people. There was a lot of things that was at play in that wisdom, but that area was definitely viewed as and decided at that moment to be considered extremely negative and prohibited. So that's one area. What falls, I would say, fall into that category as well is a lot of the courses that that you find in a college that are completely antithetical to Torah, that are just like blatant antithetical to Torah. Obviously, we understand that one should not study idolatry as a course. Of course, is history of idolatry is actually maybe okay, but in terms of like what are you doing? What are you trying to learn there? It's not just that, but I'm saying on a lot of these, a lot of philosophies might fall into belief systems that are going to be antithetical to the Torah. So that's another area. Okay.
0: So when I was in high school, I know we learned Greek mythology, which at one point was the idols of the Greeks. I don't know why they were teaching it to us, maybe just from the historical narrative of it. But would that be considered prohibitive?
1: I'm not going to issue any kind of ruling of here, I'm just <laughs> telling you I'll tell you my own f- viewpoint that there's, that's not really what's being referred to, okay? okay? Greek mythology is just that, it's stories it's legends there may be some positive lessons maybe not positive lessons I find that who we call our god and who the Gentiles call their gods is completely telling in terms of instead of putting a god on a, on just a high level that we should strive towards to emulate which is our belief they pull their gods down to a very base human feelings and human emotions and bring the gods down to their level basically it's a bunch of jealousy lust and that's basically what their gods are dealing with okay they may have a lot of strengths and powers but they're all full and all dealing with these it's very same base human emotions, human frailties that, that we suffer with, which I find very telling. Now, I don't know, is that Chachmas the Greek mythology, it depends how it's being studied, I would say. If you're just learning to know what it is, a historical thing, so it's learning history, that's maybe different than trying to actually delve into it and trying to develop a, a real deeper understanding of that wisdom and what it's a different thing. So, I, I honestly, I'm I really not sure that that's at all what's being referred to here. But, you know, to me, it's just like cute stories at, at, this, at the level that's in high school. It's just cute stories. And nobody really gives it too much of a big deal. And sometimes you have to realize, and this is another thought, you have to be really careful in prohibiting things. Because sometimes just by prohibiting it, you kind of sort of create a, an interest. Ooh, I can learn? That's exactly what I want to study. So I think they might prohibit the Torah. That's what it was in history. And then it's like, well, if they're prohibiting it, it must be there's something to it. You right, know what right, I'm saying? Right. That gave our drive to want to learn Torah even higher. So it's fascinating how things are the opposite. This is, I would say, the, probably the broad camp of Orthodox Jewry. We'll put the general category of secular knowledge for, this, for the sake of being gainfully employed, to have a skill that 's clean and easy, so and that 's you know a degree in accounting for instance, so like there is nothing really questionable about the material it 's just a way of like keeping books again, obviously if you 're learning how to cheat a system, that might be more of an issue but i 'm talking about in simple, just understanding some of these basic principles that are just uh, there's there's a knowledge there that's there for the sake of getting a skill, that you could get a job, that you could be gainfully employed, and that many, most people would would not really have a problem with that area of knowledge being pursued and studied. It's when you start crossing into questionable areas, maybe like the philosophy classes, and then there's other areas. I mean, I remember my sister was, uh, you know, thought that she would she was in college, she would take a, an art class and figure, okay, it will be nice. And the next thing you knew, that there was a, a naked woman who you had to do a portrait of. And that's like standard in colleges. That's certainly not appropriate for yeah. a yeshiva bachar to be studying, obviously, right. for yeah. obvious reasons. Yeah. And that's something that the colleges have an under. There really is a goal to, to some degree of trying to, I quote unquote, normalize. The people and like and what their level of, you know, it's not you know, and again, it might change in a a, a very Christian college. It may, in a way, maybe a lot better in terms of that area, except the fact that in theology they push a certain theology and they're trying to, they want you to actually understand Christian theology, which is itself it could be a, a lot of problems. So the point being is what I'm driving at is that there's definitely courses that you're going to find that are quite difficult to navigate. That's just the course material. The bigger problem in colleges today is nothing to do with what you're learning in the classroom. It's the lifestyle of the college. And anybody who's been to, I haven't been to college, but anybody who's been to especially these like destination colleges, not a commuter college, but the ones that you're actually expected to live on campus, it's not just learning Greek philosophy, it's sort of living the hedonistic lifestyle. That's what it's all about. And somehow they're supposed to be learning while they are getting drunk every night, they partying, complete promiscuity. There is no prohibited thing that's being, uh, that's not that's not being touted as, uh, and, and and driven. And everyone's fighting, all the different groups are trying to, f- con, you know, say that we have the wildest parties come to our, you know, why? join our fraternity. And that's what it's all about. And it's yeah. like, I can't believe, like, why, why, where did that have to do with, you know, getting educated. I mean, seriously, that's that's the place of, of knowledge. This is what knowledge is all about. This right. is just satisfying desires. It's all it is. And that's the bigger, bigger problem. And, you know, and that's something that is, my mind, that, that has nothing to do, again, nothing to do with the question of secular knowledge. That has to do with living a secular lifestyle.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, look, I went to college. I uh, spent my first two years at University of Texas before transferring to University of Houston when I was working at Lehman Brothers, and I know there was actually I know there is today a ranking system on the the best partying schools, and a lot of my friends chose their college based off that that metric. <laughs> I know that was my that was my focus my first two years, which is why I realized I needed to work during the day and go to school at night and get away from that whole party scene because that's all it was. It was. The thoughts of my daughter. There's no way I would her in such an environment,
1: and that's really. I'm sure there's a huge difference between University of Texas and University of Houston. Houston is a University of Houston is a commuter college. Nobody's dorming. It's. I'm sure uh, there might have been some, but it's a very, very different environment. This is obviously a very strong consideration, but it's not really cutting to the core question. If you're asking about the secular knowledge, so again, so so one thing we saw so far is the Chachmas Yivanus is. Definitely a no-no, whatever that means. And that's what you're going to find. What, is, what, you know, what does that mean? And you'll find that uh, differing rabbis have differing understandings of what's being referred to there. Now, let's talk about just pure wisdom. Let's say the maths or you know, geometry, science, medicine. What about that? So the Talmud discusses these areas as well. And it talks more in the era, in the realm of learning a trade, learning omnis omnus. Okay, and there's a big discussion, and it's very important to learn a skill. And the rabbis also have a dispute on that. What's the? Where's the? What's what's the right way to go? In other words, we find this a major dispute between Rabbi Gamliel, who says, "Yafa tam Torah im derecharet." That tam Torah is good when it's coupled with Derech which is the way of the land, which is taken to mean, in this context, is taken to mean dealing with the world. Dealing with the world, the knowledge of the world, the, and developing, you know, gaining knowledge of a skill that you'll be able to be gainfully employed. And he says, For the toil in both of them, it makes you forget about sin. You're doing a dual curriculum you're having a Torah curriculum as well as a secular curriculum, there's just not enough time in the day to start partying. That's what? really the idea. And that's what it's saying. And that's, and that's the idea. The combination of having both of them is, for, by and large, the, the point. Okay, and that's, what, and that's Rabbi Gamliel's take. Rabbi Shimon V'Rechai disagrees vehemently. He says, no, only Torah. Only, only Torah. Because if you're going to be busy with the world, it will take you away from Torah. You're, you're going to be. At the, you know, he says like Torah. His line was Torah matayele. What's going to be with Torah? You're going to start studying. You're, wor- you're working the field. You're plowing when you plowing season. You're harvesting in harvest season. Uh, by the time you're done, you have no strength for Torah, and that's a big problem. And that's what he says. And like all these things of working the land, that's like in a way not the, not the ideal. That's. Not good. The ideal is that you should just focus on your Torah, and that's a story. Now, that being said, Talmud came out with a conclusion and said, be asu ke, ke Reb also There are many who tempted to try Reb Shimon route of just Torah, nothing else, no other area of knowledge, no area, no other area of focus, but it just didn't work out. Okay, Not everybody is cut out for that, and all the rabbis agree that it's for the select few, really. I mean, not all of the rabbis, but most of the rabbis feel, as long as you're not doing what's really prohibited, it's not for everybody. Okay. And and the question is, who is it for? Is it for the greatest minds, the people who are the brightest, our best and brightest, or is it for the people? I mean, that's an interesting question. And I my take is that it's it's where there's the biggest will to want. To, you know, like if if uh, to me that's the biggest judge of success in a person. It's not. You know, it's not the person with the best brains who has just natural gifts, photographic memory they understand everything they you know they understand immediately and you know it comes easy to them that 's not the one who's going to make it in Torah really the one that 's going to make it is the one who has such a strong yearning in the area of torah that 's somebody who's going to get somewhere right. in my opinion that's how I see it so for him, let him pursue his area of Torah, and that would be. The world would try and support that. After all, that's what we should, as a collective, in Europe. There were communities that were, they were so poor they had no money, and uh, they they couldn't afford to send their boys to yeshiva. But they had a, you know, in the younger grades, and the ones who had the most promise, everybody in the community would collect their pennies to send them off to, from the town to study in the, you know, by the great rabbis. And he was the source of promise for our community. He's going to bring pride and joy to our community. And that's why, if you study, if you read the history of the various yeshivas, they were known by the name of the town they came from. Why would that be? Because the town had a hand in sending him off to yeshiva to help sponsor him, to help pay for his... Because his, they didn't have the money for it. They couldn't afford to send all of them to yeshiva. Right. So the ones with the most promise... So they were like... And when they would come home, this is uh, Rabbi Greenblatt, who, I don't know if you met him, but who, who recently just passed away, he shared with me a story that in Lita, in Lithuania, when the boy came home for, let's say, pay, Passover break, so they made a huge party. Everyone dressed up in their Shabbos clothes. The entire town would come out and they would carry this boy in of the pride and joy of their community who was the one with the most promise and, you know, welcome him back to town. Wow. Can you imagine that drive? So all the kids, I don't know if you can realize what kind of drive that created in the students to want to achieve that kind of appreciation. And that was the way the system was all the years of Europe before you know, before the World War I, which really tore apart Europe completely, and everything fell apart, you know, to some degree. But that was the system, and right. that was what it was like. So, as far as gaining basic, obviously basic knowledge to earn a that was the reality of life for most people. We live in a completely different world now. And I think part of the question that you have to sort of think about is like, we're just it's just so different. You know and how does this apply nowadays so many ways of making a parnassa nowadays that didn't exist in the past in the past the person who got a degree he would have a job you know and the world that we live in it's it's very different I yes explain it it's completely different and therefore I think a lot of these things that we took for granted need to be reapproached and thought about and say well I understand we need Parnassa, we need a way that my son should be educated to be able to find the means for to make a living. But it's just different. And you know, you gotta sort of recognize the strength of the child, recognize the will where the will lies, and these are the things they gotta take into account.
0: Okay. So one of the things I seems like Torah sort of favors in the area of livelihood is one that does not require a lot of intellectual engagement, more physical so that the mind can be engaged in Torah while they're attaining their livelihood, like farming, for instance. You know, are our, our, the patriarchs were shepherds?
1: That's an interesting thing. You know, when you look at the Gemara, there's a, t- a tractate of Kedushin, which talks about the mitzvot that a father has for his child. One of them is to educate his child to have a skill. And it goes through at the end of the Masechta, talks about the various jobs that are good or bad. Not a fan of doctors. <laughs> says Tov Shabirufim the best of the doctors should go to hell, basically, or belong in hell. That's very strong. Okay. <laughs> you're like, why not? Well you're like it's like only the good doctors. The bad doctors are fine. It's the good doctors they know too much or they think they know everything. There's varying opinions of how to understand that. And obviously everybody's an exception. But the Torah, but the Talmud is also not a fan of shepherds by and large. Because most shepherds were very tempted to allow their flocks to graze on other people's property there was theft that was involved okay. and it was a big issue it was a very big issue all the way back in the Bible in the, to- in the Torah we find the dispute between Lot's uh, shepherds and Avram shepherds right whether to muzzle their animals this is you know it's an ancient question okay. yeah it doesn't say it outright okay it doesn't really say it outright that it should be it's it, they give examples of the skill like examples of a skill it's like fine needlework like a tailor or something like that it was something that was it's a skill that's clean and easy not not something that's too strenuous not something that's going to knock you out too much right. but it doesn't mean that you can occupy your mind at the same time or not you need to focus on what you're doing i don't think you know like you know if you're distracted you know thinking about a very difficult esoteric thing you're not necessarily going to do a good job in what you're doing right exactly so you, it, we're not nec- we're not necessarily saying that, but that's interesting where it pushes in the area of which jobs to take what's good what's bad obviously uh, a job where a man is very involved with women that can lead to problems <laughs> you know if you're single right. if you're not married it can be talks about somebody who's like a dressmaker a man who's a dressmaker or something okay. like that so he's very much involved in you know, like in an area where it's not necessarily going to be modest with, with the women that he's dealing with. Right. And that's an issue. And it talks about a single man is not allowed to take certain jobs where, you know, the, the mothers are bringing their child and there might be some opportunity for them to do something inappropriate. So, again, so there's an idea of draw, drawing lines and barriers so that you avoid these types of pitfalls. That's really. And okay. uh, that's the kind of thing that they talk about. I guess the most telling Gemara is like, uh, it's a mission actually there that talks about like, don't worry so much about what it is that you're going to do because the success comes from God. Right. That's what I was going to get at. It's like,
0: it's not a lot of people choose profession based off, well, there's better margins in it and that's where people make more money. That's not true because God can give whatever Parnassa he wants to whomever,
1: regardless of what his trade is. Right. That is true. But I will tell you one thing. It's an interesting, I guess there's a, conflict theory, okay? There's a way of the world, though, that the how things work. It's not, you know, like, don't expect that if you're if you're an Uber driver, you're going to be making more money than a doctor, okay?
0: You know okay. what I'm saying? Right, yes, you're and right. You and I well,
1: well, it's all from God, so why do I have to go through eight years or ten years of schooling, whatever, and residency and everything? Right. I could, I'm just going to do the, you know, the easy job of whatever, just something that I don't need any training for, and that's how I'm going to make my money. It's going to be, you know what I'm saying? That's... You know, a little. You know, like that's not what it means,
0: right? Okay, because you don't, because you don't, you don't want God creating miracles, and so obviously it would be a miracle for an Uber driver to make five million dollars one year, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like exactly.
1: logistically impossible. Exactly. Um, so we, we live in a world that there's a certain reality of the world, and don't you can expect that God's going to change the order of creation? That being said, you know the scary point. The scary part is, is that you know. You know, some gamers are making more money than doctors, okay? So right. it's pretty crazy.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. So,
1: like, And yeah. that's like, I can't imagine a more useless job to be, than being a gamer, okay? But not, not anything against anybody who does that for a living, but I'm just saying. Right. Yeah. Nah, 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 <laughs> it's nah, nah. like, what are you doing with your life? And to me, there's a bigger, that's to me the core question. Okay. It's like, a person needs to feel that he was put in this world for a purpose. And it's not just so that you make ends meet at the end of the month. You have certain natural talents that God wants you to bring out. And that's part of what you need to look for in what profession you choose, something that's gonna deal with you know, connect to your who you are as a person. Right. And that's the kind of area you wanna go you know you're gonna wanna look towards. For the to bring honor of heaven to this world. You know what I'm saying? If you feel like a natural inclination to the area of, I don't know. Social work or something like that, and you know, that that you can, you know, it's a job and you could help people in there, and you have a talent in that area, so that's a great thing. And like, I would certainly, you know, consider that appropriate. You know what I'm saying? If, if again, but some people, you know, it's hard to find what their talents are in. Right. Athens is like, you know, I'm very mediocre at everything. So what do I do now? <laughs> There is, then of course, another side that I think really needs to be discussed. Let's do it. This is very important. And I think we mentioned this last time, talking about Torah in general, and how the more you learn Torah, the broader knowledge you will get in all areas of knowledge. It is unbelievable how much information about how the world works, about human insight into human nature... The entire book, work of rabbinic law is a study in the understanding of human nature. Because that's how they make these, their decrees, because they know human nature. There was such a, sense, such a strong sense of human nature, they were able to recognize where our frailties lie. All these areas, the more we study the Torah, you will have a huge bank of knowledge of so many areas of expertise, his study partner's father. He was he was taken to the camps in Europe. Okay, and over there, if you know, you need to have a skill set in order to survive. And he was just a yeshiva student. That's all he was. And you know, what skills did he have? But he was very learned. And there's an area. There's a one tractate called Erufin. Eruvin talks about putting a little that, that rope around the town. And there's a lot of areas where we talk about, when you have a different topography, how you build, how you measure the distance. So he actually studied that very well when he learned the Gemara. Right. And he told them that I'm a surveyor. And they said, oh, you're a surveyor? Oh, we need a surveyor. That's a very important skill. Right. And he really was able to do it, because Mm -hmm. when he studied it, he studied it to actually bring it to the level of real that he's able to actually see how it works practically yes and he was able to actually save his life by his knowledge of torah which which converted to a to a, a skill a knowledge that was valued by the secular world so it's an amazing idea. that's amazing the point being is that that's only one area of torah yes. but if you think of all the areas of torah it touches on you know Hilkha Shabbos touch on so many basic things of how to like if i ask you well how do you weave and you're like i have no idea how they weave to what how do you get that's a very good question how they do in and out like the whole time like so it's like no there's a weaving machine and but anybody who studied the talmud will tell you of course it's a basic principle of and they know exactly how it's working because all of these things are part of the par- part of the process so wow. so so many areas of torah are actually realia of, of the way the world works and knowledge in so many areas of like basic things that you know, you could go through college, you have no clue about ninety percent of this stuff. Right. But yeah, that's the way the world works. And to yeah. this day it's the same principles. Winemaking is discussed in the Talmud. So many different areas of forget about like I said, the area of human nature is overarching in all the areas. But actual building, construction, <laughs> all these things are Disgusting detail in the Talmud. So it's an amazing thing. Like people say, well, how much do I deal with the secular world? Well, don't think that it's only out there. Right. You're only going mean, to, the more you study out there, the more you realize that, it, oh my goodness, it's right here in front of me in the Talmud as well.
0: Right. Well, I, I even, from my own experience, I started a, a practice management arm that's built on behavioral finance, which is the, the, the study of how human emotion impacts investing decisions. And I probably shouldn't say this online, but where the majority of the content I created came from was from learning Torah because the entire principle of Torah is to create decision architecture by learning Torah and then using that to guide the, the emotions around those decisions, the the train, the emotions, exactly. And so so my colleagues were saying, like, this is great. You're coming up with all this stuff. This is great. And I, and I would lie, and I would just name off a bunch of behavioral finance books. And they were like, this is great. You're leading the program. And so for all my listeners, shh, don't tell anyone. That's where the majority of my contact. If you're, if you're friends with me on LinkedIn that's and you're familiar with the Behavioral Investing Institute, let's keep that between us. So anyway, but, yes, it's, it's very true. But I think, you know, it's almost like, though, when the— if someone wants to go into a profession, right, they they're not going to get the attention of future employers by saying, Well, I've been studying Torah for, you know, ten years now and I want to, you know, work at your hedge fund. Right? You gotta get they need their piece of paper that says this guy's competent in the areas of finance, although I would
1: say finance is well covered in the Torah as well, is it not? Absolutely. There's yeah. tremendous Sources in the Talmud We could go through the details when, Whenever you're ready Of seeing like Just basic A lot of economics 101 A lot of economics Higher level economics Are discussed in the Torah In various places So that's really interesting Talmud talks about these things
0: Okay So there's There's really nothing Towards lacking I mentioned in the intro Like Psychology Sociology But what would someone do You know You have a A child They want to go to college they want to get the, the education to pursue a certain profession. You have kids who've gone to college. How do you navigate allowing them to get the information they want and avoid the information that would be harmful and avoid the the culture in the, in the college world?
1: Okay, so that's a real practical question. I just want to point one point out based on what you talked about before, before I get to the question. So first of all, I will have you know that... That law schools throughout America They value yeshiva learning They're very well aware That if you studied in yeshiva And you have a yeshiva degree Which really is nothing but If they call it Talmudic Law A, you know, a bachelor's in Talmudic Law yeah. They will accept that Plus your LSAT's grade And get into some of the best colleges Law schools in the world Okay, right, And that's because they're aware That if you study Talmud You are are a lawyer already. Okay, you get it. You understand how to outthink the other side. You see everything from multiple sides at the same time. Yes. And, there, and you can see the balance between the two. You're there. You're there. Okay, and therefore, it's just a matter of, well, does he have the English language skills or other things to be able to communicate? in secular world right. which is a separate discussion and they don't necessarily have that in yeshiva but in terms of the acumen necessary to be a lawyer they're head and shoulders above anything that they were training in the secular ecology yeah. so that is something that at least in that area the, the secular world is aware that that's going to work now as far as the practical question first of all I would say the most important thing is creating a very strong foundation before they're ready to go off to college, where they are immersed in Torah values first, because the world is a big, wide-open world, and the only way we can fortify a person, strengthen a person, is with a very clear, powerful understanding, with deep, discussing the hard questions, what Torah has to offer, and deal with the difficult questions that the world will throw their way, that they should be well you know well armed basically yes. in battling that world now that's the first thing so and therefore you know it's very common to even to take a year off before college to be fully immersed in torah study for both boys and girls before going off to college that's standard in, you know in our community here and in many many communities because okay. of that purpose now once there's a decision that okay well they do want to pursue a degree higher knowledge in various areas so there's differing ways that you can do that while protecting the environment there's jewish colleges that that there's a less of a concern there's online courses which is not ideal for certain things but many things can can be gained without being exposed to difficult circumstances right all of those are factors again the like you saying going to college at night and going like uh, usually splitting the day for for boys they would be studying day daytime and night time and then going to college at night so they have that anchor of the torah that keeps them before the, you know so that right they have what to go back to and all those things are ways that we deal with this issue okay for girls it's a little different because they don't really go to yeshiva anymore but there's a big value if they're able to be home that's that's very you know that they're still maintaining their home environment but again sending to a college like your like one of like like the examples you gave yeah is fraught with danger it, right there's it's just a, you know there's an expression in the Talmud that talks about very that exact question and the discussion it goes like this it says what are you going to say to the father who takes his son dresses him up in finery you know Showers him, puts on nice, uh, you know, nice cologne, gives him a wallet full of money, and sends him right out to the place where there's women who are scantily clad, and puts him on that street, and you let him hang out there. Right. And the father said, and, and the, Torah, the Talmud tells us, "My yasa haben velo What did you do? You you gave him zero ability to uh, counter that. What the son? What will the son do and not sin? You're, like, setting him up for failure. Like, yeah, why, you, right. why would you put a person in such an environment? Right. And that's exactly how the, you know, the Talmud looks at, you know, doing those types of things. Like, why would you expect any different results? Like, well, my son, he would never do those things. You're right. Studying in yeshiva, he would never do those things. But if you took him out of that environment and put him right in front of these people who have no morals, who <laughs> are right. just there, and what do you expect to happen? How can you expect anything but that the child will sin? Right. If that's what you're exposed to day in and day out,
0: and you're interacting with kids, and that's how they're behaving and what they value is partying and promiscuity, I don't care how holy you are, it's going to wear you down over time. You're going to think, well, maybe just that will be okay. And, and that first thing may be okay, but eventually
1: what ends up leading Sli- to us. yeah, a slippery slope. Yes. And our rabbis are very, very well aware of avoiding the slippery slope right be preemptive and that's the that's really the idea obviously it always takes prayer and everything as well but there are there are alternatives you don't have to do that there's no need especially like i said you have to revisit the whole question there's a lot of ways to skin a cat nowadays to think creatively about
0: okay you're saying there are options for people to go to school where there's Jewish yeah. communities
1: there's a much more Jewish environment where you know my 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 are, some of my daughters went to different places but there are depending on the level of religiosity there are schools that are very fine schools may not be the best the big names right but you get an education and you're with uh, an environment of other religious girls so of course it's going to be a lot more positive. You're not, it's not, it's not ed not even co-ed classes, and that's uh, it's going to be a big difference.
0: You have a daughter that has graduated at this point, right, from college? I have
1: a few. I have one daughter that's a, that graduated law school. Okay. I have another daughter that graduated with a degree in electrical engineering. Okay. City College. Okay. Another daughter that has a degree in computers. Okay. But she went to Turo, which is a Jewish school for girls. And that's a that's a relig- that's a Jewish religious girls' school. Okay. That's where she graduated from. And my other daughter is currently in Queens College, which is Queens College is again a lot of religious girls are there. Okay, but that makes a big difference too. Okay. You know, you have your chavra, so to speak, your friends, your group of friends, and that makes a big difference.
0: So at those schools, you don't run into problems where there's curriculum. You know, they they have the different options, electives, and things you need to take in order to get that degree. Where some of those subject materials are not appropriate, I guess that those are you don't have to worry about it when you go to Sometimes. schools like some of them. You
1: might, you know, and uh, it's you know my daughters would talk to me about whether it's okay to take this course or that course, and usually, usually if you want, there's there's an alternative. Okay, you know, like you can, and a lot of times they recognize the their credits when they, from the year in Israel for certain parts of those to cover for some of those prerequisites that are of questionable nature, right? Philosophy or something like that. Well, yeah, I took Jewish philosophy in, in the seminary. Can you recognize that as you know taking that basic and you know right I'm So that's how that's how it works these days. Okay,
0: it seems to me too that the whole purpose of exile is for Jews to influence the world around us, not to let them influence us, to integrate without assimilating. And why I think that it's tricky, but equipping our, ourselves to... Well, let me just ask you, is that a correct thesis, that that's part of being an exile, is, is not to seclude ourselves from the rest of the world? We're supposed to be influencing it to some degree, Correct.
1: Right, but there's there's a a very important lesson, and that's like you say, it's tricky. Yeah, which is a good word for this to describe the issue. The idea is this: is that barriers still need to be maintained. Yes, and those barriers need to be maintained for to to make sure that you're not the one being influenced. Right, and uh, you'd be foolish to think that you're not going to be influenced. You're only influencing others right it doesn't work that way, yes, so maintaining those strict barriers those those lines that you don't cross is crucial to maintaining that, and your ability to influence mm-hmm. is not when you go out and you know and party with the <laughs> <laughs> and say, well, i'm not having you know my fifth drink, only four that's not, right. that's not how it works okay because once you have your fourth drink it, it <laughs> right, that's a you know, very good point. You're not in a, you're not in a position to be to be like that. Yes, but when they see it, it's like you know I don't I don't put myself in situations where I might be subject to these issues. That makes a huge difference. So I'm happy to go for a coffee, but I'm not going to the bar right now with you. Right, and the, and you know what? That'll go a long way, and they'll recognize who who you are and what you stand for. And they and you are very well aware of your weakness, and you put boundaries for yourself. Right. And that's the way you're influencing others. Yes. By not allowing yourself to fully integrate. True. That's, the, that's, that's the idea. That's point. to me where you, you know, do it in a way that's healthy for you and still being able to influence others in a positive way. It
0: makes me think of a, a story which will probably reinforce what you just said. Many years ago, I had a, someone that was always calling me up and complaining about stuff. And he wasn't even doing business with us. And I finally asked him what the issue was. And he said, well, you stopped coming to my conference. And he's like, you don't value doing business with my company. You you don't show up anymore. And I explained, well, it's over the weekend. And I started keeping Shabbos. And even if you offered me millions of dollars to come there, I can't go. I would not go. He immediately flipped around to where he became my best friend. And he called me like a month later and told me how he shared that at his Sunday barbecue that he has with his friends at church. And he said, these Jewish guys get it. It's more important to them than all the money in the world. He constantly called me up and said, I share everyone with
1: him that story, Dan. Totally respect you. That's exactly the thing. Yeah. By by showing the boundaries that you're keeping adhering to and keeping strong. Yeah. For your value system. Right. That speaks volumes in ways that everyone can appreciate and once they realize that's what's going on obviously have to communicate that but once he realized that he was blown away
0: yeah exactly so i didn't have to go the conference to when i'm over in the end right exactly okay beautiful i think we covered everything here giving everyone guidance so rabbi thank you so much i appreciate your time
1: it's great thank you so much pleasure If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.